0: Everybody, I'm Ashton Demery,
1: and I'm Nicole Demery, and welcome back to our atheist Bible study. Where we're super excited to bring you this extra special Valentine's Day episode because it has like a little, a little love story in it.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, it's very romantic. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I think you're gonna all agree that it's maybe one of the greatest it's romances. For the ages. So I'll get started as usual with a brief background on the book that we're talking about today, which is Ruth. Uh, Ruth is a little bit random, not so much the character, but the book itself gets spliced right in the middle of this Deuteronomic history that we've been talking about, but ha- kind of has nothing to do with it. It doesn't really express anything in terms of the history of Israel overall. It's just a specific story that has some themes associated with kind of like loyalty and and with foreigners a little bit.
1: Yeah, my guess too is like, I know the Bible is really big on genealogy and this gives a little bit more background to King David, who's like a big part of the Bible.
0: Right, absolutely. And also going along with that, as far as like Christian interpreters are concerned, right? it's important to them on the basis that they consider it a preamble or a early echo of Jesus mm. because they connect Jesus to David. David is sort of the Messiah of the, of the Old Testament. Yeah. So they connect Jesus with him, consider him to be descended from David. And David, of course, is descended from Ruth according to the Old Testament. Also, uh, Ruth is pretty short. As it turns out, it's only like the 24th shortest book in the Bible. Because the New Testament, the books get really like spliced down to really, really short snippets. But in the Old Testament, it is distinctly short. As far as the authorship of this one, it's traditionally ascribed to the author Samuel, who's an 11th century Jewish scholar, 11th century BCE, that is. But most scholars believe that it was written during the Persian period, which was from the 4th to 6th century BCE, and it's based on a lot of the expressions that you see in Ruth, they believe to be late Hebrew in origin or Aramaic in nature. They also talk about the sandal custom that gets explained a little bit later, we'll see that a little bit later, but they explain it in a way that you wouldn't think would have to be if it was a common custom of the time, Mm -hmm. and it's an older tradition. And then sort of a favorable view of foreigners that it seems to have. There was a lot of controversy in this time period about foreigners and whether they should be seen as people who could be assimilated into Jewish culture or if they were just to be maintained as outsiders. Yeah. Well, uh, let's get started then.
1: Okay. So our story starts off with Eli Melick. And his family. So he has a wife who is named Naomi, and he also they have two sons together named Malon and Chilion. Chilion. So the story starts out with them moving to Moab from Bethlehem, and when they get there, Elimelech dies, and Naomi's sons end up marrying a woman named Orpa and Ruth, and then shortly after that, uh, Malon and Chilion die. So. Now all the men in this story are dead, leaving us with Naomi, Orpa, and Ruth, which is significant because now we're in our very first moments of the Bible where we have just an all female cast and there are no men to speak about.
0: Yeah, which is is highly unusual. Yes. This one so the the names Moan and Chilion, the names are generally taken to mean in Hebrew uh sickness and wasting. So this whole thing is I think one of the other things that implies to me that it it was post-exilic and mm-hmm. a later writing than what it's traditionally ascribed to be is this: like they they leave Bethlehem, they're out in Moab, and just the kind of like sense of the sense of misfortune, yeah. for them, and the the symbolism in the names too, just indicating that that they're on really hard times. And to me, it makes more sense for a post-exilic uh, group of scholars coming in after. They basically lost Israel and then moved back in to tell this story about uh, them having you know, terrible fortune, being outside of their home, and then coming back to it. Uh, makes more sense to me.
1: Yeah. So without the men around, they aren't doing very well. So Naomi decides that she's going to move back to Judah, but she wants Ruth and Orpa to go back to their mothers because there's no reason for them to be together anymore. They don't have anything tying them together. And traditionally, like, there would be no reason for them to all stay together.
0: Right. In particular with them being Moabites.
1: Yeah. So, Orpah and Ruth start crying because they're emotionally attached to Naomi. And they both kind of, like, express that they would like to go with her. But, you know, Naomi explains to them that there's, again, no reason for them to travel with her. And she goes on this, like, really long explanation as to how she isn't going to have any sons anytime soon and how even if she were to have sons that they wouldn't age fast enough for it to make sense for them to stay around to marry those said sons. (laughs) And on top of that, she doesn't think that she's young enough to catch a husband anyway to make any of these hypothetical sons. And so therefore, they should not go with her.
0: (laughs) It's really funny to be ever talking about like, hey, if I have a son tomorrow, you're gonna have to wait 15 (laughs) to 20 years. Yeah,
1: no, she's like, let's say even if I had one like tonight, then, you know, you'd still have to stick around.
0: <laughs> I, I don't know. It's- yeah,
1: but this is a good enough explanation for Orpah who who decides to, you know, kiss her goodbye and head back to her mother's house, but not for Ruth. So Ruth, I, okay, before I, I like quoted this part because I think it's like very beautiful, but I want to do like a little side story about how bef- when Ash and I were getting married at the time, we were like not out as atheists to our family. And when we were putting together our ceremony for the wedding, it was like very noticeable that there was no mention of God, which is, as you know, it's very strange for Christians. Scratched
0: out all of them. Exactly.
1: There was, we didn't have any Bible verses. There was no like, Oh, we're standing here today underneath, you know, the eyes of God and family or nothing like that. Yeah. Um, And that was definitely like noted by my father. But anyways, A side point is, is I would have definitely, if I had known about this, I may have included this because I, I love this. (laughs) (laughs) So, and again, I just want to emphasize that there is no reason for Naomi and Ruth to stick together. So this is specifically because uh, Ruth has powerful feelings towards Naomi. And so she says, do not press me to leave you or turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, if even death parts me from you. It's like Edgar Allan Poe. It's just so, I don't know. I think it's gorgeous. It's like the most romantic thing. I don't, okay. (laughs) I, of course, yeah, immediately, I just want to jump to shipping them. But I also think there's something to be said about having like a platonic soulmate. Either way, it doesn't, yeah, just, uh, I, I think, like, either even if they were having sexual relations or not, it's it's very clear that they had, like, v- they were very emotionally attached to each other. And I think it's the most, like, feeling and emotion of we've ever gotten out of any Bible characters.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's interesting because it, it is, I think it's a very secular interpretation of this mm-hmm. that is more consistent with how we think about things and, and kind of, like, connections with other people, really, is, like, Paramount to us because we we've taken spirituality and all of that out of everything. Whereas the traditional interpretation of this really sees Ruth as being loyal to the Israelite tradition and Mm -hmm. and wanting to become an Israelite because she sees who the Israelites are through Naomi, of course. But um, I like that interpretation. I like that.
1: I think that that's.
0: That's cool. And you can see it as like, even if you don't see it as like a a lover type thing, you could see it as, it's like having like a sister-in-law that you just really take to. And if if you don't have a family of your own or a strong family, really kind of falling into theirs.
1: Yeah. Well, I just want to say, like I said, I don't care either way, but my, my camp is in that they are lovers (laughs) and that's what I'm going with because it makes me happy. Yeah. But yeah. And also just like I said, like I do feel really strongly that this would be perfect for weddings. Like, I think the whole love is patient, love is kind is overdone. It's boring. Yeah. It's not really, it doesn't feel particularly moving or emotional where this is just so, I want to die at the same time as you. I will follow you wherever you go. And like, uh-huh. I don't know. That's how I, It's I when I read it, that is kind of how I feel about you. I feel that strongly about, you know, being where you are and, you know, having our, you know, religious values aligned and stuff like that.
0: Oh, yeah. I feel that way about you too. Oh, love you. See, we told you it was going to be a it's Valentine's special.
1: Day It's a special episode. <laughs> this isn't
0: where I thought you were going to take the <laughs> Valentine's Day stuff. Yeah, and I think going back to the, the wedding thing, I think the only thing that makes that so... It's really distinct when you actually go to a, a, a completely secular wedding mm-hmm. because there, you don't realize how much just constant reference to Christianity there is in a normal wedding. You don't have to ask your, whoever is running the wedding. I don't mm-hmm. even know what you call them. You don't have to ask them to put... God in it, but they're going to open that ceremony. If you don't tell them not to, they're mm-hmm. going to open with it. You know, like we stand here in the presence of God. You you almost I know lots of people who aren't even really religious and their ceremonies open like that because they don't ask it not to be. Yeah. Yeah. Also, in this this passage, I thought it was interesting. We get some real strong words from Naomi about Yahweh. Mm -hmm. Almost almost blasphemous. And I don't think anybody talks about that. It says, Call me no longer, Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me, Naomi, when the Lord has dealt harshly with me? And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me.
1: Yeah. So, okay, so just for context, this is when... So Naomi and Ruth do move back to Judah together, and like everybody recognizes Naomi, and they're like, "Oh, like why is she back? I thought her husband." And so she gives that explanation: how like everybody's dead, and how she can't have the bright, cheery name of Naomi anymore, right? And when I was reading explanations for this passage, there is a big emphasis on them like coming from from tragedy. Okay, so now that they are in this town together they are trying to figure out you know how they're how they're going to eat how they're going to survive so they decide that ruth is going to go glean in some fields and did you want to give an explanation of what uh, gleaning from a field is
0: yeah so in ancient israel we've talked a little bit about this in leviticus and a lot of uh the law-based books of the bible it talks about if you're a farmer, you have to have these sabbatical years, and then you also have to leave some of your crops, like things that have already fallen off or or the edges of your crops, you have to leave those for the poor and for foreigners to come in and, and eat from, right? Because they have no other means of, of providing for themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's really what this is. It's an activity that's reserved for the poor. The farmers are not harvesting from the edges of the crops. And they're not picking up any of the stuff that drops or that they just miss. Mm-hmm. And Ruth is coming through and she's just following the farm laborers. And as they drop things or as they just forget to pull things, she's going to pick those up. Yeah. Interestingly, when so when I was a kid, my great grandma and I used to go down to a place called the Gleaners. Mm-hmm. And... I didn't really know what, I had no idea, like didn't understand the reference at the time. Yeah. I just thought their name was the gleaner like that. That was like their family's name. Yeah. And it was like a house down the street and in their backyard they'd have like a bunch of produce that they'd sell real cheap. Yeah. Or maybe even gave away, I don't really know. We'd go down on her like little little scooter thing. And so what that was is they they were referencing this. They yeah. are a program that is meant to help out like seniors and stuff by providing for really cheap uh, produce and to help you know farmers get rid of all of their produce and there's a lot of programs like this throughout the country like a lot of food banks will call themselves like gleaners of whatever because they're referencing the bible and they're you know servicing the the poor or the or elderly in their food banks and yeah. i just thought that was interesting I, I had never realized that i just like saw the word and i was like that sounds really familiar and that's that's what it was
1: yeah i have a similar story when i in high school when i was in key club we, you know, of course did like volunteer activities to look good for colleges and stuff. And one of the things that we did was we helped, um, I don't remember the exact name, but I do remember that Gleanings was in it. And um, we weren't, or I wasn't picking up fruit off the ground or picking off the trees, but we I was like cleaning out buckets where they had like shipped the, the fruit somewhere and they had, I don't know, they smelled really foul because like the fruit had like rotted in there. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. So I spent like a whole day just... Rinsing out, like, buckets and stuff and doing that for Key Club.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, in all fairness to to Christians, you know, there are things like this that are really, I think, good uses of spirituality or, like, interpretations of the Bible and, you know, your religion. Being inspired by things like this to do something. to to do something charitable or like to find a place where some people are being like missed out, like seniors that that are not kind of overlooked and help out and fill in in that way. So, you know, it's nice when it does
1: inspire good behavior. Yeah.
0: (laughs) yeah And I, I mean, I think some groups of Christians, obviously you stick to this stuff and kind of like ignore the worst parts of it more often than other groups obviously do. Mm -hmm.
1: So, all right. So, so Ruth is out gleaning in the fields and she just so happens to be gleaning in the field that is owned by a man named Boaz and he who also turns out to be somehow related to Naomi but they don't know this about each other yet so Boaz uh, takes notice of Ruth gleaning in his fields and he asks a servant about her and the servant explains to him that that's Ruth and she's come with Naomi um, because Naomi lost her husband and both of her sons And so they start spinning this tale of, well, not spinning a tale because it's true, but of Ruth's loyalty to Naomi in the situation, how she's chosen to take care of her mother-in-law and help her out when she really didn't have to. And so this makes Ruth look like very admirable uh, in the eyes of Boaz. So he has sort of been admiring her while she's working. And then he approaches her afterwards and tells her that she shouldn't go to any other fields that she can glean with his women and drink his water. And he's he's like very generous with her, and so she throws herself on the ground and asks her, ha, sorry, and asks him why he's being so generous towards her when she is in fact a foreigner. And so then he gives her the explanation of how it's because of she's how she's been so loyal to Naomi and she's been brave to leave her homeland and come to a foreign place. And so she tells him like like may I continue to find favor in your sight? And then so then Boaz takes it further and invites her to dinner. And again, he's like super generous. Like he keeps refilling her plate. So she eats until she's full. She also gets to like dip her bread in in some wine. And then he announces at dinner, tells his men at dinner that she can glean among them. So like closer to them and that they should even pull some handfuls out for her because she's gleaning barley. And so he's Mm -hmm. like kind of telling him like, oh, like go ahead and like drop extra for her to pick up. So she goes home with like a full, you know amount of barley, like a good, like more than you would expect to get from gleaning. And so Naomi asks her, you know, where she was gleaning at. And she tells her, you know, about bows and Naomi, you know, connects the dots that, oh, that's actually like a pretty prominent relative of mine. Maybe we can use this to our advantage and kind of work this in our favor. And then the section kind of ends with Naomi advising Ruth to not glean with the men, but to stick with the women. Right. Which I feel like this is early purity culture a bit of just, like, it's kind of confusing. There's no reason that's, like, explicitly said why she shouldn't glean, like, close to the men and stick with the women. And I think it just has to do with the way I interpreted it is that she doesn't want her to prepare like, Promiscuous, sort of, like she'll look more. I don't know. I guess like pure if she sticks with the women.
0: Yeah. So I I think there's like two things going on here. So I think on one hand there's an acknowledgement here that that rapes happen, Mm. and there's a concern that she could be attacked by a man or or raped. And you know, as an acknowledgement that if that did happen, you know, there's no there's no real consequences for Mm -hmm. the men for doing that. So she kind of needs to just avoid them in order to prevent that from happening.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Um
0: so Boaz he he kind of does the same thing. He says he has told his men not to bother her. Mm-hmm. Right? So so part of this is, you know, if you find favor with the the landowner, you have a little bit of protection yeah. from uh being bothered. I think but I think being bothered could be interpreted here as like men like, you know, Harassing her sexually or even just saying, Get out of our way, like mm, you know, yeah, not wanting her to like take stuff from the field. Yeah. But yeah, I think what you're saying, that interpretation also makes sense because the mother in law wants her to end up marrying Boaz. Right. So she is trying to sell her her daughter in law as pure and not going around with the the men and not being flirtatious with them mm-hmm. and all the stuff that you're saying. Yeah. Is there is potentially there too.
1: Yeah. And to go unnecessarily like deep into things just because it's fun. I think there is also kind of a sense of like also not wanting to seem too greedy, like not taking advantage too much. Like he's he's been generous with her and yeah, she's she could be up right up there taking everything first, but instead she's um choosing to be with the rest of the women. Yeah. Okay. So, um, okay. So Naomi recognizes that. Obviously, Bose sees something in Ruth, and that's why he's being so kind to her. So she sort of hatches this plan for Ruth w- with good intentions, because she's, she's trying to set Ruth up so that she's going to be taken care of even after Naomi is gone and they don't have each other.
0: Right, and Bose is, is somewhat close of a relative of uh, Elimelech. So remember, there's a, there's a law that says that if your brother dies you are to marry his wives and you're expected to do that. It's required of you. And that extends beyond the brother, whoever is next in line. Somebody is expected to marry your wife after you die. And so that's, what's being kind of referenced here.
1: Yeah. Okay. So Naomi tells Ruth that Boaz is going to be at the, at the threshing floor tonight. So Ruth needs to like wash up, anoint herself and put on her best clothes. Um, And then she tells her that when she gets to the threshing floor, she shouldn't approach Boaz or anything. She should actually avoid his eye and, uh, and like not speak to him at all until he is done eating and drinking and goes to lay down. Then Ruth should approach him and uncover his feet. And then she says, and then do as he says. So Ruth does all this. She, you know, washes, puts on her best clothes she goes to the threshing floor. She doesn't acknowledge Boaz. She waits until he's like ate and drank and is, you know, fully satisfied. And I don't know, maybe a little tipsy is kind of somewhat implied. Yeah. <laughs> like he's in a good mood until he lies down. And then she waits until he f- he's fallen asleep. Then she does the thing that Naomi suggested. She removes his shoes and then she lays down like at the foot of his bed. So then Boaz wakes up at midnight with uncovered feet and a woman lying at the edge of his bed. He asks her who she is, and she, you know, tells him that, like, it's, it's me, Ruth. And he is, he's very happy to see her, and he expresses that what she has done is a great act of loyalty, and that this has been better than anything else he's seen her do before. He mentions that he, he has noted that she hasn't pursued any other man, rich or poor, which is also, I had that theory about Naomi not wanting Ruth to be with the men, because Bose would notice that she isn't around any other men, right, and he has noticed that, so he basically tells her that he's down to do this, like he's down to marry her, um but he does know of a man who is more next of kin than he is, so to follow tradition, she needs to ask him first this more next of kin guy if he will marry her and take her inheritance,
0: yeah, he's basically like not it,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so. He gives her some barley to go home and uh, sends her on her way. <laughs> oh, he also tells her to, like, sneak out because women are not allowed on the threshing floor, which I think is interesting that they noted that now. So she was kind of doing a bad thing the whole time. Like, yeah,
0: yeah. I think that that felt clear to me, though. I, I don't know. It felt like Naomi was, was sending her to do something shady. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, this is, I mean, this is what I thought you were talking about when you said this was Valentine's Day oh. episode? <laughs> um, no, even though it's not a very like, like the whole marriage thing, and you know, even though it's not a, it's clearly not a very good love story.
1: No, that's yeah, it's but, not. But it um,
0: <laughs> th- this is like an interesting thing here that's a little bit controversial. So she is sent by Naomi to go uncover his feet and lie down and wait for him, right? And then she does, and then he wakes up, and she tells him to pull his cloak over her because he's her next of kin. And there's debate about what this means, right? The uncovering of feet. Feet have, in other parts of the Bible, been used as a euphemism for a penis or for just generals in general. Mm -hmm. And it could mean that she was supposed to have sex with him. Yes. Naomi, in this interpretation, Naomi's sending her, and you can see a lot of hints at this. Yeah. um, When you read it, right? She says to... Wash and annoy herself, right? Clean herself up, put on perfume, put on her best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor.
1: Where she's not allowed to be at. Right. Yeah.
0: Not make herself known to him until he's finished eating and drinking. And like you said, there is a suggestion that he is in a, he's in a contented mood to imply that he is he's drunk. Mm-hmm. And then, right, she comes in stealthily, uncovers his feet, and lays down, right? It doesn't really make a lot of sense to think of that literally. And... Right. Uncovering feet. If you think about it, they're wearing robes, right? So if you lift up your robe, Mm -hmm. you are uncovering your feet. But also if you lift it up high enough, you're uncovering everything else too. Yeah. It's very different from if we were to uncover our feet in modern clothes, it would just mean like taking off your shoes and socks. Right. But that's not what it means here. It's really just pulling up his cloak. Okay. And then she tells him to pull, spread his cloak over her, right? Which suggests wrapping her up in like his, his bedding or whatever. Yeah. And he wakes up at midnight, again, which makes sense for him and being drunk, right? Mm -hmm. She's actually laying down and waiting, and then he wakes up in the middle of the night and notices her, which just maybe he woke up, you know, being drunk. Yeah. So, yeah, the whole thing feels like she's being sent to, like, have sex with him, and then at that point he kind of has to- Marry her. Has to marry her. Yeah. And then, you know, he says to her that she hasn't tried to sleep with other younger men. I I think this part's funny, too, because it's like, you know, this act of loyalty, he really praises her as, like, wow, you really are a special woman because you don't look at these pretty faces out there. Mm-hmm. You see you see what real power looks like or something. <laughs> you, know I mean? like you, yeah, yeah. you recognize me as the best option. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a little bit of inflating himself a little bit there. Yeah. The other interpretation of this is a lot more literal and seems to say that this is like an act of submission to lay down on the floor uh, with his feet uncovered and then wait for him. Right? She's showing submission to him, showing that he's... He's the king of this castle or whatever, yeah, and then begs him basically, wrap your cloak over me, which means to provide his protection right of mm-hmm. like marriage, basically yes basically to make her his family,
1: yeah, I think both are valid interpretations, yeah,
0: I think to me the the sex makes a lot more a lot more sense,,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, okay, so Ruth sneaks out with her arms full of barley, goes back to. Naomi tells her what happens. Naomi is pretty confident that Boaz is going to take care of the situation right away and figure out if this other man is going to marry Ruth or not. And she's correct. As soon as he wakes up, he goes and talks to this man. He's explaining about Naomi and how he needs to like take on these lands that Naomi's husband left. And right. he is, of course, like, yeah, I'll, I'll, take, mm-hmm. I'll take the land. That sounds awesome. It's my duty. Yeah, it's my duty. <laughs> <laughs> and then Boaz mentions, and she also has a daughter-in-law that you would be expected to marry. Her name is Ruth. And then the guy is like, oh, like, I'm not so sure about that part. That would ruin my inheritance if I were to marry her. So I'm going to pass on this one. You can have her. You can take the lands and everything. So the men exchange a shoe, which is, I guess, customary when making a deal. And um, Boaz announces to everyone that he's going to marry Ruth. And the people wish for him that um, Ruth is like Rachel and Leah.
0: Right. Uh, I think that just means that they are prosperous and have a lot of children because Rachel and Leah basically, you know, birth the nation of Israel. Right. Yeah. It's I, <laughs> really funny. This guy is just like as soon as he says the name that Ruth is involved with this deal, he's out. He's, he's like, done. nope. <laughs> um. Yeah. And then after that, we have like the genealogy of David, which. Feels a little out of place here, and it's suggested that this might be a priestly addition to connect this story to David, who's really kind of a central spiritually in the, the Old Testament as mm-hmm. like a, a Messiah figure.
1: Yeah, it's definitely like tacked on in the end. It's like, and by the way, this, um, the kid that Ruth and Boaz have together is the grandfather or something to to David, right? So when Ruth has Boaz's son. They name him Obed. Naomi becomes his wet nurse, basically. She becomes like almost like another mother to him. She nurses this child.
0: Interesting. Why do you think that that they include that?
1: To me, I'm trying to remember if we've seen that before or not, like if that's a standard thing.
0: I haven't ever to seen me, that. To me, it shows
1: me the closeness of Ruth and Naomi. To me, it also suggests a bit of a thruple situation because it's like both of them are mothers. To this child.
0: Mm-hmm. To me, it feels a little bit like trying to cut the Moabite out of the family tree a little bit.
1: Mm, like she's not actually the mother. Because it, it, it is she kind is, of.
0: She births it, obviously, yes, right? Yes, yes. And through Boaz, right, it is a descendant of uh, Mm-hmm. So it, it seems to me that they're saying, right, she she birthed it, but it basically becomes inherited by Naomi mm-hmm. in the Jewish tradition and, and sort of is truly Jewish. Yeah, is truly an Israelite. I could see that. That's what I see from that.
1: Yeah, that I can see that too.
0: So, as far as themes overall, you talked a little bit about, you know, Boaz really he really praises her for her loyalty to Naomi, and then he praises her again for her loyalty to him. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really the central theme of this is loyalty, right? Ruth is loyal to Naomi, and to the Israelite tradition, she decides I don't want to be a Moabite. Moabites are garbage. They're you know descended from incestrous people and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna be an Israelite. Right? Yeah. I think it's interesting. Loyalty is really all about perspective. Yeah. Because from Moabite's perspective, obviously, she's a traitor. Yeah. She decided she, you know, she betrayed the Moabites and left them in favor of being a an Israelite. Mm-hmm. And I I, know, I think of it in terms of you know, Christians, I've seen praise there was a there was a story at one point in army their news outlet. Mm-hmm Really praising this conversion of a a Muslim service member to Christianity, right mm-hmm. they were converted while in the army and mm-hmm. you know there, there's a there's an undertone there of you know you yeah, you joined our army, you were a Muslim, and then you became a true American, right mm-hmm. you became loyal to us by becoming a Christian, yeah, and obviously for like Muslims, you know it'd be seen as a betrayal if it had been going the other way, right, you would see. Christians would see Christians leaving the religion, and and we've experienced this. Christians do perceive Christians leaving the religion, whether for another religion or atheism, as betrayal to your family and your heritage and everything. Mm-hmm. I just think that's, that's interesting.
1: Yeah. I saw a lot of interpretations like that, too, of it of focusing on, you know, if you're a loyal person, then God will reward you. Right. I also saw some stuff like... Um, about it being god bringing um happiness and fulfillment through after tragedy which we've talked about before is like a very favorite very popular right. thing for christians to think about is like god bringing bringing you good things after you've experienced tragedy and i just don't really see that at all and i mean of course i don't we've talked before about how this whole like good things come from bad things is being kind of bullshit yeah i definitely see, see this story more as women having to use their beauty and their body as currency to get ahead in life this isn't they didn't turn their life around because people were just giving to them out of the goodness of their heart they were doing it because they were setting themselves up to look a certain way which i think is smart you know they were using what they had given to them right um, you know like they're Making sure that Ruth is presented in a very specific way, and that you know when she approaches Boaz, that she's washed and beautiful, and you know in her nicest clothes. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I just don't really see this as God doing anything for them because He didn't. They had to do it all on their own; otherwise, they were fucked.
0: Yeah, I think this sometimes seen as almost like a, a feminist book, and you know it centers around female characters. And some have suggested I, I think it's highly unlikely that it was it was a female author uh-huh. of this. But even with all that, right? You there's like a reality of the culture of, in everything that a woman has has to come through a man, right? That she mm-hmm. doesn't have anywhere else. You know, she should theoretically be able to just go find some land, plant some barley, and
1: she they had have the land. Apparently, you know what I mean? Like it was supposed to be, yeah. Like theoretically, they, the land nobody had be claimed the land yeah. that was her husband's. Yeah, I, this is
0: she should be able to to farm that land, but. You know they're unlikely to be able to to find any workers willing to do it. They're not gonna have any protection right this is you can't,
1: yeah, and I think that's like the really sad moral slash reality of it is that like women could not make it on their own in these times,
0: right well, on that <laughs> <laughs> on that note, we wish you all a very happy Valentine's Day, yeah, we hope the love that you have is a lot more like the love between Ruth and Naomi and not like the supposed love between ruth and boaz yeah and thanks for listening see you next time
1: bye